0: Well, good morning again. Uh, if we've met, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. Today is a, a unique Sunday. Uh, we're kind of in between series. We just wrapped up a long series talking about money. Um, and uh, with it being Labor Day weekend, we did not want to start something new. And so uh, next Sunday, we're going to launch a really exciting uh, series of messages called A Living Hope in a Hostile World. And we're going to talk about how we can be people of hope, even amidst the hostility and challenges around us. To do that, we're going to camp out in the book of 1 Peter. Um, And so I've been in 1 Peter a ton lately. Uh, I've been reminded of how many of the verses that God's used in my life over the years are found in that book. Um, And so we're going to dig into that. We're going to have a special gift. For everyone who's here in person next Sunday. And so we'd encourage you to be with us next Sunday as we start this new series. Today, though, we're going to take some time to be able to share uh, and hear somebody's story who once was part of Cornerstone. And so I would encourage you that if you're in a community group and your group is maybe starting up again, meeting, Uh, in this next week, I'd encourage you as a group to really lean into uh, the stories that are present in your group. Your group leaders, if you're in a group, will get a message from me later today encouraging them with this. But our staff has been taking time each week in our staff meetings for each person on our team to share a piece of their story. And some of us have worked together for a number of years. And we've just been encouraged hearing different pieces of our testimonies and stories that nobody around the table knew and just being encouraged about how God's at work in our lives. And so as our staff kind of started that process, uh, I got reconnected with somebody who used to be part of Cornerstone. And we started talking, and since they left, um, there's been some things that God's done that we wanted to engage in. And so this morning, uh, I'm not going to be delivering a normal message. As you can tell, there's an empty seat right here. Uh, I'm going to be joined by a friend, and we're going to hear about his story and how God's working in his life. And then later on, after we're done, we'll celebrate in communion. So would you welcome my friend Matt to the stage right now? Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, um, Matt, you were a part of Cornerstone in 2018, um, and uh, since then you've lived in Phoenix, but I wanted to kind of go back to the beginning of your story. Um, you've called this state home for almost all your life, um, and so uh, for people to just get to know you a little bit of the context of uh, kind of how we got to know you up here. Um, tell us about the beginning of your life. Where did you grow up? What was that like?
1: Wow. Hi, everyone. <coughs> Uh, Yeah, so I grew up down in Phoenix. I went to uh, Brophy High School. So I grew up in a Jesuit Christian family, and I'd always been around uh, religion and and God. And uh, I grew up as an athlete. I was a uh, three-sports star there, and sports were kind of my—my nickname was actually Sports Miller. And uh, I went on to play baseball at Santa Clara. And, uh, we got a photo right here. <coughs> spent four, Yeah, we were just joking about the quality of photos and uh, how, old, how old we are. <laughs> I was just thankful it wasn't in black and white. Um, but yeah, I went on and I played baseball at, at Santa Clara, and uh, shortly after graduation, am I going too fast here? No, you're good, man went on a mountain climbing expedition with uh, my father. And that's, that's part of the story I think I'm here to talk about today. Your dad
0: is not that Dennis Miller, right? He's not no, the comedian.
1: He'll tell you he is the Dennis Miller, but uh, his jokes aren't quite as good, although he's got a lot of them. And this is my father on the right. And uh, I grew up with just an amazing family. I really did. My father, since I was a young, young man, would take me on expeditions uh, to Alaska. We didn't see a human for... 13 days on a float trip, and we were hunting and fishing for our own food, and just like everything, a, you know, a kid could want from a father. So uh, when I graduated school and came back to Phoenix, he asked me if I wanted to go on this mountain climbing trip. It was, uh, it was a no-brainer.
0: So tell us about this mountain and that you went to climb. i got a picture here.
1: Sure. The mountain is uh, called Pico de Orizaba. It's usually a pretty safe mountain. So I was a 22-year-old kid at this time. My whole life is, a, is in front of me. I think the worst thing that happened to us is I I lost a cat, you know, that was the kind of family we grew in, we had no tragedy, and uh, it's usually a very safe mountain, you can see from, that's a glacier from about 14,000 feet to 18,000 feet, and it's usually, uh, it's steep, but they usually get a pretty good layer of snow from the monsoons, The the year we were there, it was like an ice skating ring, it was pure ice. And uh, to make a really long story short, my father had altitude sickness, and I stayed back with him as the rest of our group had moved up towards the summit. And just as we were getting near the top, he slipped and fell. And I went after him, and uh, I grabbed his jacket, and my ice axe was roped to my, my hip here, and I tried to get on top of it and dig it into the ice. And when I did, it came up and hit me right here in the forehead. And uh, that was the only thing I remember. This, it, we fell 4,000 feet, if you can... Believe that, and uh, we came, stopped right here, just short of these cliffs, where in the next week 13 others would fall, and they all, they all would perish. So somehow, we got tangled up. My father and I just stopped, just short of these cliffs. My nose was off, my ear was off, my ribs were all broken, Uh, my head was the size of a basketball. And my father, I could, I could hear him crying and making some noises, and I could tell he was close. Uh, my problem was, because of all the trauma, my head was the size of a basketball. I had swollen my eyes shut, so I couldn't see. Um, and again, to make a really long story short, uh, long story short, we ended up having to spend the night. They couldn't get a helicopter to us that night, and so I got frostbite. And uh, I lost most of my toes, and uh, you can see they saved my thumbs, which, which was really life-changing, you know, without that. Um, but that night on the mountain, you know, it was negative degrees for over 12 hours we were really fortunate to you'll see some pics on a little bit of what i looked like uh but that night would be end up being like the easiest night of the next two years of a journey of self-reflection self-critique self-analyst just everything i went from i went from being the most secure kid overnight to the most insecure kid if that makes sense and um yeah, I talk about handshake with Christ, too, and, and really being forced to look at, at bigger
0: meanings in life. So that was 2002, Two. okay, when that accident happened. Yeah. Uh, we do have a photo. I won't leave it up long, but it's um, your hands basically were covered in frostbite, and um, yeah, and you, uh, you ended up losing all of those to be able to save your arms and save your life.
1: Yeah, real quick story. When we're leaving on the climb, someone yells from my office, Matt, don't become the next Beckweather's. And I didn't know who Beck Weathers was. Beck Weathers is, there's that movie Everest just came out. Uh, Josh Brolin played Beck Weathers. It's a real-life story about what happened on Mount Everest, all these, these horrible blacks that happened. These guys died. So I Googled Beck Weathers on the way to the airport, and I remember they pulled up this picture of this guy's hands. They looked just like these, and they were just gross. I, mean, I remember thinking, I cannot imagine living life like that. Well, to make a long story short, again, when we get back from Phoenix after they would saved this, my phone rang on Christmas, and I pick up the phone, and it's Beck Weathers. And uh, so we ended up going to Dallas, and I did all my surgeries in Dallas, where they took my latissimus and uh, put that over my hands. But that was, that was the easy part. I think the, the real part and the difficult part and the part that, in a way, has brought me closer to Christ that I'm so thankful for was the Two years of Oxycontin they had me on, and my pain med addiction—and uh, it wasn't just pain meds. It, it introduced me to a new way of thinking, where I could, put, you know, I—I I, I was putting things before God, but I could do this and, and escape life. And it, it was about finding these things that would help me escape my reality, because I did not want to deal with the truth of what had just happened. You know, I thought when you see someone who goes through something like this, you think, how do they tie their shoes, or how do they pick their nose? Which, by the way, that's what I miss most. <laughs> that's her job. Um, um, no, and uh, it's not that at all. It's, it's you look in the mirror and, and you realize, oh my gosh, you know, I'm a totally different person. And for uh, a really long time, I, I tried to be that old person.
0: Yeah, you, 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 you gave me a photo this week. Um, you know, you lived after that, you know, uh, a really full life. Yeah. You were a successful financial analyst and advisor. Um, you continued this pattern of adventure um, You know, you, you pushed your body Even though you would lost some of your, you know, extremities You still had this huge heart and this drive as an athlete To conquer things And so you just kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing And from the outside, you know If I didn't know what was going on inside right here I'd say, man, that's a, that's a good looking young guy Who's strong and athletic and successful yeah. um, But that was just the outside the inside was a very different mat and it was a very different story. For sure. You know, we always judge
1: our... We compare our insides to everyone else's outsides. Um, I do. So you wouldn't know this. This was the Camino de Santiago. It's a 500-mile pilgrimage through northern Spain that I did a few years ago. And I ran the whole thing. And uh, you would think I'd be in shape, but what you can't tell is six days before this photo, I took uh, my last methamphetamine and was smoking marijuana and uh, doing all kinds of things. And it really was it was on the outside everything i guess I, I, I went back to school, got my master 's degree i 'd done fourteen or fifteen marathons, but the truth was inside i was I was rotting and it was you know i wasn 't snorting these pain meds it wasn 't out of control. I was taking them as prescribed, and that was the narrative that gave me the right to to make it sound like it was okay and uh, so anyhow I, I would would do things like this often, looking for answers, uh, try to change everything on the outside before I'd have to change things on the inside. And that path eventually led me to a uh, Prescott house just down the street here for treatment, long-term treatment. And that's,
0: that's how we met. This is the first time I met Scott. Yeah. So that was, you moved up here in the spring of 2018. Correct. March 2018. And, you, and um, you finally began to face that addiction. Um, you were taking those pills as prescribed, but you couldn't function without them yeah, it was 15 years after my accident,
1: and they take these pain meds away, and it was like the first time I realized I lost my fingers, you know, if that makes sense, and I was forced to deal with with life straight on. Uh, fortunately, they introduced me to a 12-step program, you know, I was really involved in AA. While I was going through all that, you know, what I really, because of maybe my background, and I'm a big reader, I you know, the 12 steps are like the Beatitudes rewritten. And, of course, that whole organization was started from a place of faith originally. So I'd always seen and, and felt the calling for Christ. But I was, I was embedded in this program of AA that, that says you're always an addict. You know, you show up and you say you're an addict or you're an alcoholic. But deep down in my heart, uh, I knew I had to keep going to these meetings. Deep down in my heart, I always felt that Jesus or God could transform your heart. And there could be a day where you'd wake up and not want to do that stuff mm. anymore. And uh, I couldn't find that, though. I could not find this, this that transformation. And uh, so the time I was up here coming to Cornerstone, I, I got re-baptized, as you know, but I feel like I was really going through the motions. I was, I was trying so hard, uh, telling people the right things, but just like you said before on the outside, everything looked good on the inside. I still had not... That transformation was not happening.
0: Hmm. So yeah, so if you were if we were to go back in time, this I think this is from May, June of twenty eighteen. Okay. You know, I went back and rewatched your baptism testimony this week in preparation for this. You know, if you were sitting there like, you know, maybe in a time machine and we couldn't in that moment see you, but you were there, what would you say was true about that, Matt, and those words? Do you think you really believed them? Do you think they were genuine, or were you trying to convince us as much as yourself that they were true? What would you say about that, because looking back four and a half years later?
1: It was more just a confusion. Like, I, I, uh, how do I say this? I, uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. Okay. Give me the question one more time. So, so I mean, mean, how how would you, I
0: mean, when you look back on those words and on that decision and that moment and those conversations that we had, do you think it really was that you didn't believe those things and they were genuine, or were, was something else going on? So deep in my heart, and it's almost like I feel like I'm a, uh, not the right one to be up here,
1: I knew I had Christ in my heart, and I had this longing for God. But I just, I wasn't, I, I don't know if anyone can relate to this, I didn't feel like I'd read the book enough, or I was I was ready to be deemed as one of these well-respected Christians. Hmm. And uh, But I knew when I got to my, down on my knees and I would repent at night, uh, I felt this, this loving, this calling for God in my heart, but I, I just, didn't know, uh, just didn't know where to go for it, mm-hmm. I guess, or how to look for it, if that makes any sense. It does.
0: We, um, in the process of you getting baptized, we got to know each other, um, and I actually had you up here, uh, I think about four years ago right now, yeah. um, I gave a message on the book of Habakkuk, Um, And talked about where God is and where hope is in the midst of of hard times because that's that book Mm -hmm. Um, And then we shared your story Um, That was a really hard day. Yeah for both of us uh, Because backstage we were hanging out before the service and you shared with me that you know a couple nights before that You had relapsed. Yeah um, and so I didn't you know, know you were
1: going to bring that up in front of everyone. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> do you want to know how amazing Scott is? So this is true. I, I'd been sober for six months. They wouldn't let me go to Phoenix. Uh, it's kind of a long-term treatment. I went down there. They finally let me go for the first weekend, and I did what I thought I would never do again and relapsed. And I was supposed to meet. I relapsed on Saturday night. I was supposed to be here on Sunday, obviously. And my uh, alarm went off that I was supposed to pick up a friend here for an AA meeting before church. And it just hit me that I, I could not not pick this gal up. She meant so much to me, and she'd been through so much with me. But I show up here thinking, am I going to tell Scott this truth that I just relapsed? And they want me on stage to talk about me overcoming all this. And uh, I think one of the things he said is like, no, that, that is the story. The story is the struggle. The struggle is the realness, and uh, because you allowed me to come up here and share that, I think, I think it had a lot to do with just re- my recovery. It introduced me that, I mean, the the truth is, God knows the truth. It's what's going on, anyways. Why, why, why would I not hide it? But it just the ability to be completely honest about my struggles was very uh, just provided a lot of freedom mm-hmm. to be able to be up here and tell you guys about this stuff right now as uh, as weird as it is it's a lot of freedom from it and uh i feel it's god that allows me to share this stuff because i know there's people in here that are going through the exact same thing i went through that thought i have a master's degree i'm, I'm smart enough uh, i have a family there's no way i could tell people the truth about these struggles that that were going on and you opened that door for me so thank you
0: well, i'm grateful for you um, you left Prescott in later part of 2018, moved back to Phoenix, and kind of started up your life again. Yeah. Um, your, your career was in, you know, finance, um, and so you stepped back into that, um, and uh, we kind of lost touch. Um, uh, and you were going through kind of rebuilding your life, starting over. You uh, were starting to serve yeah. and use your story and, and your hands to impact other people. Um, you know, you started pretty humbly when you went back down there. You were driving a forklift yes. Um, yes. For, for a while before you got back into finance. Tell us about that kind of reentry back into normal life after you kind of left the world of recovery up here.
1: It was difficult. It was difficult. Um, you know, living in Prescott I, and I was around recovery and people who were in recovery all the time. It was very easy. But when you get in the material world and back in the real world, things are moving fast I'm in finance, too, where uh, a lot of things seem normal, um, whether it's doing drugs or whatever it might be. So I really struggled with bridging that gap between the safe, uh, controlled world versus the real world. What I struggled with was, um, was, I, was a, I was a rudderless boat. I was trying to go to AA and these different things, but I had completely lost my relationship with, with Christ. And... Um, I started smoking marijuana again and this trick played in my mind that, you know, this is legal now. Uh, It helps if you're anxiety. And so I started playing, going down that road again. And because of that road though is what made me turn back to Christ. It it became to the point where you know, I would use and it was miserable. Like there was no I had to use because I that's what this crazy addict tells me to do. But then I would do it and I'd hate myself. And uh that's addiction by the way for those who don't understand it and can't grasp it it's a it's a it's a weird thing and uh but because of that i needed the finances answers and so i did i i picked up uh the new testament a friend gave me the new new believers bible and i started reading it uh fero- ferociously that was all i read for uh weekends and week outs and as i went through it um things started to change i started to feel i never felt power in reading the word and uh for the first time i started to get this interest and i started to have these feelings in me uh that came from disobedience Mm -hmm. i mean obedience excuse me came from obedience when i could stop smoking you can't have self-worth if you have no Mm self-control if that makes sense and uh you know, if you can't control the flesh, it's difficult. And once I was able to stop smoking marijuana, my whole relationship with Christ was able to uh, to originate, really, and, and, and grow. And I had that attitude of, uh, I think a lot of people in this world think Jesus is the Son of God, and he, they leave it. That's a big deal, you know? I, when I, I started looking for answers, I, if that's the truth, it changes everything. It changes mm. the way I work it changes the way I get up in the morning it changes everything and I couldn't just be a financial advisor who believes he's the son of God and goes to church once in a while and uh, so I started really looking for answers and I think surrounding myself with other believers which I also did not understand the importance of that until I fully I went on a retreat to uh, a retreat for Johnny and Friends which is a Christian organization that helps families with special needs and obviously I have a Love and connection there, and I went uh, volunteered at this retreat, and it, it changed my life. you know, being around believers all around me and uh, for four or five straight days, and having no news, listening to nothing but good worship music. all these things uh, started this fire in me i don 't know how to explain it, and I felt that feeling you know that feeling when you 're living in the light and you just have no secrets. You know, for a lot of you guys, that might be every day. When you're an addict like me, those, those days are rare. It's the most incredible high you can ever get, better than any drug or anything else, just the high you get
0: from living in the light. And that was when we reconnected.
1: And that was when we reconnected, because you saw my posts. And, I saw uh, your
0: post, um, and I'd been to the camp that you were at, um, and, uh, and I had just seen in Facebook they do that memories thing where they show you stuff from the past. And and your baptism had popped up in my memories tab, um, and so I reached out, and you had never gotten those photos that I just showed, right? Um, and uh, and so I shared those with you, and you're like, hey, I'm up here, and we had a long text conversation that day, yeah. Um, and then we hopped on Facetime, and I said, hey, so what's what's been going on? We kind of had lost touch, and and what I sensed was, uh, you know, as I go back and I look at your video. Um, I really do think you were, you were being genuine where you were, you know, uh, but I think that there was a sense of, of surrender that you stepped into, you know, earlier this year that had not fully happened here. Yeah. You know, I think it took you relapsing into marijuana I think it took you getting to a place where you were honest with yourself that you never had been before. Absolutely. For you to realize, you know, that the first, the first step is, in the, in the 12 steps, is that powerlessness piece. Yeah. Um, and it's not, and I think sometimes people who've been through that are aware of it, it's like you, you finish that one step and then you go on. No, you never graduate from that first step. Right. That's every morning. Yeah. That's every day. You know, I know that in and of myself, I can't save myself. I can't, I can't free myself. Right. You know, and all of our struggles look different. You know, for you, it's a very public one, you know, with, with your hands, you've been very public with your struggle with addiction, but we all have those same places in our own lives. They look different. Absolutely. But it's the same thing. And coming to the end and going, hey, I'm going to surrender myself to Jesus and find in him what I couldn't find anywhere else. That's really where it, not only it all begins, but it all comes from and is sustained by.
1: Yeah. 100%. Like I this analogy probably gets used all the time, but I wanted God in my house. Like, I knew I wanted on the front mat. I wanted to invite him in. But I always wanted to leave that one room, you know, that one room for Matt and and do it my way. And I also thought if I did give up that room, that life would be boring, full of rules, and I'd have to get all new friends. And what I learned is that life is so much more better on this side uh, when you're doing things right and living with Christ, it's unbelievable the feeling of joy
0: and serenity
1: coming from someone who had a lack of
0: that for so mm. long. We had, we had lunch this week in Phoenix, and right after we were done, um, I sent you a quote from C.S. Lewis that I just felt like summed up you know, what we talked about really well. Lewis once said, uh, we'll, we'll jump ahead here, he said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. I think that's what you've been it's talking like Matt about.
1: Matt Miller's story is the long, terrible story. <laughs> uh, is, that, is that what you're trying to connect? Well, well,
0: I mean, I, I think, I, I think we all. Uh, have been trying to find what you just described hundred percent, you know that sense of Longing and desire that's deep in our heart, you know And and some people say that they can find that in the things of this world and they give themselves to that Yeah, some people think they can find that in in achievement and success Yeah, um, but your experience I think forced you to have to face the fact that you could not find that yeah in financial success You know uh, in physical achievement you know, in, in drugs, yeah. you know, and that it wasn't just that you wanted to have an eternal relationship with God. You wanted it to begin now and begin to affect your now. And what what I hear you just described to everybody is you found that in Christ. And it isn't just changing where you're going to spend eternity. It's changing how you're experiencing every day. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that that retreat showed me like I thought to act like to act Christ like because I've been in that place in my life where I had no secrets, where I was living in the light of things felt right. And uh, I always thought that I, I didn't realize to be Christ-like, it like I, I was waiting for an event to happen, and then I was going to be good. I didn't realize I could be content, serene, and joyous, and happy right now just by changing it up here. And uh, yeah, so it just, if that made any sense.
0: Well, you, 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 you mentioned there's a verse that you, you go over every day uh, in Philippians 4. Um, Yeah. You want to read that to everybody and talk about that?
1: Yeah. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellent and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on those things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. That's exactly what I was trying to articulate was— it's it's obedience it's when you it's one thing to read this book and know all you know some of these ideas of how to live your life but it's implementing them that you feel this euphoric connection with Jesus that I had never felt before you know when I I think I shared this with you too like when I'd gone through treatment I was in AA I ran out of reading material at Prescott House and had nothing to read and there was a New Testament so I started reading the New Testament and that's where the light bulb went off when I got done reading it of oh my gosh you know this the way I'm living right now in AA where I was living in transparency. I was being of service. I was doing all the things and I felt so good. Uh, it was just a, like, just as how the, this whole new Testament explains how to live life. that's where the light bulb went off of. So I almost found, I found Christ and Christianity through a roundabout materialistic way, mm-hmm. I guess as kind of how it came back into my life. And, uh, and then from there, it was, it was developing a personal relationship. It wasn't about going to church. It wasn't about, uh, which is important, I'm not saying that. But it was about walking around my room, asking God to reveal himself, ask, just talking to him like he was my friend, and complaining to him like he was my friend, <laughs> telling him about all the things I was fearful. And uh, it was that conversation, those conversations, that led me to really develop that
0: relationship. Yeah, when you were talking, it reminded me of First Thessalonians five. Paul says, "Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for those of you who belong to Jesus Christ." You know, and you just described that that daily life with God, where it wasn't just something you were waiting for Sunday for, yeah, but it was it was all the hours of your day. You were just trying to build that real relationship with God that was a part of your everyday life.
1: Yeah, like I, I can say it better. to in in the corporate world you know if you want to be a CEO you don't wait to start acting like a CEO when you become the CEO you start acting like a CEO now and uh, if that analogy relates that's exactly how this thing with Jesus took off for me and I feel even weird being up here I was hesitant I was maybe sharing this with Sky like I'm not I'm still struggling you know I, I still it's not like I'm healed it's constantly three steps forward two steps back and I'm sure that's the way it is for everyone, but except for Jesus.
0: Yep. you know that there's a, a verse we were praying backstage that I think just is a reminder for me uh, of where you've been and where you are. At the beginning of Philippians, uh, Paul says, "Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion." And I think some of us stumble because we think we're never gonna get to that place of completion. We feel so far away from that. Yeah. And others of us struggle because we feel like we're in a place that we're not. Yeah, we feel like we've arrived. Yeah, you know, and so I don't hear in you that you have feel like you arrived. The the, the, the challenge no. for you is saying, "Hey, I'm not yet where I want to be, and I may seem light years away from where I want to be, but I don't have to get myself there. It's 100%. walking with Him but He is going to take me there. And as long as I'm depending on Him, dwelling in Him, yes. you know, talking to Him, He's going to take care of helping me get to a place that I can't see myself getting to right now."
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, it talks a lot about in the in the book about him helping you find your gifts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can say that I'm not. I probably won't be able to articulate this well, but I do a lot of public speaking. Um, I'm a financial advisor, so building relationships is really important to me. My gift is, you know, I thought this was like my biggest hindrance. This is my biggest gift that the Lord has given me. It's it breaks down walls when I shake hands. It gives me vulnerability. I don't have to share my whole story, but people will ask what happens, and the next thing you know, they're telling me their whole life story, and I have this beautiful connection with people, and uh, it was at that retreat, it really was, where I was around these, just love and children all the time, and all of a sudden, I probably had 20 people at that retreat saying, my gosh, Matt, that is your gift, like, look at what's coming out, and uh, why aren't you doing this full time? And so I'm still trying to figure all that out and where he's taking me, but it's 100% true. As soon as I started living the word and living in his light or trying to, mm-hmm. um, all these, these things just started happening, and it's too good to be true. Mm. Uh, it's too good to be true
0: how much easier life is when uh, living aligned with his will. So in the book of Genesis, Joseph gets sent on this wild goose chase. His brothers sell him into slavery. He gets wrongfully accused of a crime. He gets forgotten in prison for 10 years. His brothers finally show up, and they discover that he's there, and they're expecting him to be angry. And what he says to them in Genesis 50, verse 20, is what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And and as I listen to your story, I feel like that, that phrase is true. You know, our enemy tried to take this accident in 2020 and turn it into something evil that took you out. If, if he couldn't take your life, he took your hands. Yeah. And and then when that didn't work, he tried to take your future with addiction. Yeah. Um, and instead of it being intended for evil, God has intended it for good. What you thought was your greatest weakness is now in God's hand your greatest gift. Amen. What you thought was your source of greatest insecurity is a reminder that you're secure in Christ and free in such a way that you can connect with people and help them to find the freedom and transparency that they've been looking for. Um, and so, you know, I know that some of what you're sharing is for people today. But for you, I just want to remind you of that. Thank you. you. Know, um, that what the enemy intended for evil, God has intended for good. Amen. Um, and as you rely on him and find his grace to be sufficient for you, um, he's going to continue to walk with you. There are going to be bumps in the road along the way. Um, but but he's, he's going to finish the work that you started.
1: Yeah, thank you. I feel that. Thank you. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> so I, uh, I, I put a word out to everybody last week. I didn't tell them you were coming. But I said, hey, if you're somebody who's struggling with hope, you're in a hard season. Or you're somebody who has, um, you know, somebody who's, who's not a believer. And uh, would you invite them next Sunday? So some people have done that. Maybe they're sitting at home. Because their friend didn't want to come to church, so they're just watching us on a TV. Um, you know, if if there's somebody who's watching today, or somebody who's sitting here, who's in a dark place, or maybe somebody who doesn't really understand what it means to become a follower of Jesus, or Jesus, what would you say to them? Oh man, uh, what
1: would I say to them? Uh, there's a lot of power in prayer. For one, um, but what would I say to that person it's uh, what you, what seems so impossible when you 're in it in the moment um, is possible i I mean if there 's people here with addiction i i 've gotten out of the bathtub and you when know, I was going through all this, and had to throw my toe in the trash can mm. and none of that even compares to addiction um, and so I'm just telling you that because those are the thoughts and feelings I had. Um, there was complete helplessness. There was no way I could get out of this. And there was no way that these feelings could ever go away. And it did. Um, I don't think it's a lot of value for me to tell you you have to be persistent. And you have to be—you uh, have to get up, be willing to get up. But uh, that that is the truth. It's about having faith, surrounding yourself with people who believe in you and believe in the right things. And uh, promising yourself, I told myself I was going to screw up repeatedly, but I just promised myself and God that no matter what would happen, I would get up every day. And uh, I did, and there were so many days I look back. I don't, I don't know how I'm here. I really don't. Um, I forget about that too. But uh, it's just being persistent, a lot of prayer, and uh, just always get up, always get up. Scott knows I'm a big runner now. I hated running. Hated running. I thought it was for people who were too uncoordinated to do anything else. So that's what you got relegated (laughs) to doing. And uh, I run now. I I was supposed to run a hundred mile race last weekend. And so I I run long distances. And I never could have ran if I had my toes. Um, I gained so much more than I lost Hmm. um, from losing those toes. And so... I get, that's just my, my point, I guess, is what seems like so dark and so scary. It could, it's going to be your greatest gift. Mm-hmm. Well, can I have a real story? Go got for time. It. yeah. So Senator McCain, uh, they brought – when I first got back here, they didn't know what to do with me, so they were taking me down to the burn unit, and they bring me into our living room. Uh, this is only about three weeks after the accident, and there's John McCain sitting down uh, in, in our living room, and he gave me this – this long talk, but what he told me is probably what I would tell you guys, I guess. And he looked me right at the eyes, and he was really honest, and he said, Matt, this will be the hardest thing you'll ever go through. So much that it might almost kill you, and it might kill you. But if you get through to the other side, and he, like, emphasized if. If you get to the other side, it could be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. And uh, when the, he went on to tell a story about in prison camp, but he just said, adversity is opportunity with the right attitude. And uh, that's what you have. This is either going to be your greatest gift or your gra- your greatest burden. Mm. And it did almost kill me many times, but uh, would I want to do it again no, but am I so thankful I went through it? Yeah
0: mm. Well, I'm really grateful that you uh, said yes to come I'm and I'm share grateful today. for listening to me, and to um, me. Uh, I wanted to share i I, I brought a, a couple of scripture that I wanted to share to close. um, I thought of this when we were talking on FaceTime a couple days ago said this is the message of faith that we proclaim if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you'll be saved one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation for the scripture says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame and that's the promise I think he has made to you Matt um, is there's a lot of things that you think could be a source of shame I could put you to shame, yeah, uh, relapse in before you come talk at church, um, turn into pills, convincing yourself that marijuana was okay, um, right. but you put your faith on him, you put your trust in him, you put the full weight of your surrender on him, and he has promised that he will never be put to shame yeah. um, and uh so uh, you no longer live here, but you're <laughs> you're always a part of the cornerstone family. And, um, and we're going to be praying for you in the weeks to come. Thanks, God. Okay. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.
1: All right. It. Thank you. So Walk off?
0: Yeah. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you've never surrendered your life to him, I would just encourage you that, that Matt has presented the gospel better than I could. He shared about how this faith on Christ has literally not only the reason that he's alive, but it's part of the reason that he's free. And so I want to give you an opportunity right now to to do what he's done, if you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for a living picture of the difference that you make in someone's life, about how you can carry someone through the greatest adversity. Um, and how depending on you can take something that is a curse and turn it into a gift, something that's an adversity and turn it into an opportunity, something that is a place of shame and turn it into a place of freedom. Jesus, I believe that there are people here right now in this room, people watching online who've never put their faith and trust in you, but right now you're at work in their hearts. You're moving, uh, you're drawing, as, as Matt said, you're, you're speaking to them because of the ways that they've been living in disobedience and distance from you. And so this morning, Jesus, I believe, is an opportunity for them to come home to you, for them to put their faith and trust in you, for them to find in you what they've been looking for everywhere else. If that's you, I, I want to encourage you to just pray with me a simple prayer of surrender right now. Jesus, I have been trying to find life everywhere I can look. I've been trying to find happiness and peace, and I haven't found what I'm looking for. So today I look to you. Today I turn my life over to you. I surrender to you everything in my past and who I am today. You know everything about my life, Jesus. So today I admit my sin and my brokenness, my addictions and my secrets. I pray that you'd forgive me. I pray that you'd, through your grace and your mercy, make me new. I need you, Jesus. I can't do this on my own. Today I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me that I might be forgiven. And today I commit to follow you, to trust you, to obey you, to depend on you. I want to begin a relationship with you today, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. If that's you, I want to give you...